Hey, what's good, everybody? Hey, are you an educator struggling with time and money? I mean, are we all? <laughs> well, I want you to meet my friend Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors, and he's here to help. Specializing in working with educators, Alex understands the challenges we face from low pay to complex retirement systems. His team specializes in holistic financial planning, focusing on your goals and creating actionable plans to improve your chances of success. Visit his website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash tudope, T-O-O-D-O-P-E, to schedule an initial virtual consultation with Alex. Mention the code TUDOPE on your meeting and receive 25% off their subscription-based financial planning packages. You can get more info and a link to their website in the podcast description. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC, Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC, California Insurance License Number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203 Monrovia, California 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306. Mi gente. It's me, Gerardo Munoz, and you are listening to the Chicano Logs. Uh, this is a place where this Chicano engages in dialogues with uh, folks all over our raza, all of our gente. We define that very generally because we really want to look at what it is that we experience together and how we can build stronger bonds. Um, we hope everybody's doing well. Um, I'm recording this at the tail end of Latine Heritage Month, Hispanic Heritage Month, Latino His Heritage Month, whatever you're um, trying to call it is uh, something I'm going to accept. But I do want to talk a little bit about this, and I'll and I'll do that here at the top of the show um, before we get to this conversation with uh, my main man, Teray Esquivel of Ednium here in Denver, Colorado. Teray and I have a really um, great conversation around what it is that helps people to build happiness in their lives and how culture can play a role, and then more specifically and concretely what the Ednium Network is doing for community and for alumni of Denver Public Schools. Um, the Chicano Logs is a Two Dope production. Um, and made possible in part by uh, my good friends Alex and Tori over at Cetera uh, Investment Services, LLC. Um, head over to uh, the Two Dope Teachers in a Mic feed to learn more about how Alex 
and uh, Tori can help you plan for the future. And actually, we're going to have Alex and Tori on separate podcasts here um, on Two Dope Productions. If you're super into um, listening to me ramble on a semi-regular basis, <laughs> um, you can head over to patreon.com slash two dope teachers. And uh, for as little as $5 a month, you can help make this independent media possible. I don't necessarily claim to be a journalist, but I also always dreamt of being a journalist. And um, in the spirit of great journalism, I'm really into elevating and amplifying stories. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this idea of um, Latine Heritage Month. Um, so some of you may already know the history, but initially Hispanic Heritage Month was created um, as, an, as a celebration of the independence movements of a number of Central American countries, including Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, um, Costa Rica, some and, and other countries. Sorry, uh, please don't cancel me, Central Americans, if I left you out. Um, but it was a way of kind of recognizing regional commonality when it came to our gente and our heritage and our history, particularly here in the United States, where we are not united by a single national identity. We are not united by a single notion of what it means to be a Spanish surname person. We don't have citizenship in common. We don't have the same geographic sense of place in common, except that a lot of us are here. Over the years, um, Hispanic Heritage Month uh, morphed into something more inclusive of folks from all over the Latine diaspora, um, and especially as United States involvement in many of our home countries became increasingly harmful, more and more of our um, family, our siblings in uh, um, other Latin American countries found their way to the United States uh, fleeing the violence. Um, so if you're seeing more folks from Colombia, from Venezuela, um, always from Mexico, from parts of Central America, finding their way to the United States, Ecuador, uh, shout out my guy Juncola for your updates on what's happening in Ecuador around the election. Um, you can catch that actually, uh, I'll be sharing some of that content soon. You know, we, by necessity, um, we've had to live with the declaration by um, Mariategui, the Peruvian philosopher. He wrote this in um, in his articles on the Peruvian reality, uh, seven essays on the per Peruvian, <laughs> easy for me to say, Peruvian reality. And one of the things that he says is we are too few to be divided. Everything unites us. Nothing separates us. Not, nada nos separa. And so just really powerful stuff from Mariategui. Um, so anyway, I approach it from that perspective, and over the years, um, Hispanic Heritage Month became more inclusive of, of our people. Um, and then there was a move to change the name to Latino Heritage Month, which was a step in the right direction as so many more of our community came to start rejecting the centering of Spain as our cultural heritage and being more inclusive of others. Now, others will tell you that Latino, Latine, Latinex are not much better because they're, it's still rooted in the idea of Latin, which is a European-based linguistic family. Um, but I'll, I'll just add that it, that it adds um, a little bit of a flavor of Latin America. And, um, and I, think, um, I think that's important to note that Latine, Latino Heritage Month um, 
centers Latin America, and I know that there is some conversation about whether Spaniards uh, should count as Latinos. Listen, my Españoles, my Castellanos, my um, Catalans, like all of y'all, um, love you. You're not Latinos. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, don't come at Well, come at me. Shoot. I, I feel very confident in, in this. So over the years, I've been pretty dubious about how much I'm going to go ahead and um, amplify and observe uh, Latina Heritage Month. But I think that it is important to look at the things that we've done and contributed into um, this country and this space and, and the things that we're still struggling for. And, you know, I personally, after 23 years of being a classroom teacher where I had to fight to assert my um, my Chicano identity and why that was an important and intentional part of my practice, not just an incidental curiosity about me. I've learned to really step into that aspect of my identity, which is the center of my identity. Um, so I'm hoping that over these next few episodes that are a tribute to our raza um, here on the Chicano Logs will resonate with you in that way. Um, super pumped that I um, had a chance to go to the ALAS conference last week. Um, the Association of Latino Administrators and Superintendents. Um, I use the word Latino because the organization uses the word Latino, not because I endorse um, the sort of uh, gender uh, limitedness that that the word Latino uh, provides. Um, it nevertheless, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, I had a chance to meet uh, Jose Hernandez, who is the subject of the movie A Million Miles Away. If you haven't seen it, you got to see it. I mean, it, it's it's kind of Disney esque. I'm not gonna lie. A little bit of a feel good story, but at the same time, it's just a beautiful story of a boy born into a migrant family, born into the most invisible of the invisible of our labor force uh, here in the United States. I'm I'm reminded of the wonderful poem by uh, Luis Alberto Rea, We Feed You, You Bastards, The Least You Can Do Is Listen. Um, and so this is a wonderful story. But but what's great about, and I'll do a review of this, but what's great about the film is that the, light, the migrant worker life is not portrayed as something to be ashamed of or to flee or to distance oneself from. And when you see the movie, you'll see what I mean, that his, that Jose's, um, roots as a migrant child are actually really important to him and things that he has kept in his story even as he's been successful. So if you don't know the story, um, he was, I don't I don't think he was the first Latino to go to space. I'll, I'll fact check that. Um, but his story is so unique in that he rose up from this place where he's he and our people are ignored in society and eventually um, aspires to become an astronaut. So you got to see it. It was cool. He was our keynote speaker. Um, also had the opportunity to meet the incredible and talented and motivated Leticia Ordaz. Um, those of you in um, Northern California may recognize her name as, as a news anchor on KCRA. Uh, she's also written this wonderful Mr. McCaw book. She wrote another book about representation. Um, that could be me. Um, and she's just so dedicated and so wonderful. And she's also the... Um, the the founder of Cielito Lindo Press because she wants to get more of our stories out there. So more on that uh, when we get her on the show. But yeah, so, it, you know, 
being around my gente, and those of you who know me well know that I've struggled a lot in my current role. Things are getting better. Um, I'm I'm learning to to find strength within myself. It's like the Willy Chirino uh, lyric, La fuerza que te hace falta la tienes dentro del alma, y ahí lo vas a encontrar. I feel so strongly that that's the case, and especially as I'm starting to um, live that. And who knows what the future brings? I'm still working on this PhD, still trying to, you know, be a good manager and open doors for uh, black and brown educators in my district. Still trying to write, still trying to do all the things um, to say nothing of these podcasts and. Um, it, it puts me in a um, in a good position, but being there was amazing. Uh, shout out to all of the veteranos, the mentors, the founders of Alas who are always there and always so generous with their time and energy. I want to specifically shout out um, Leanne, Sal- Leanne Salazar. I want to shout out Chris Bond. I want to shout out Eduardo Reyes. Um, y'all have just been so kind to me and so loving in supporting a little Chicanito from the east side, and I really appreciate it. So this episode of the Chicano Logs, uh, it's been one that's been a really long time coming, not going to lie. Um, I first met Tere Esquivel when I was coaching um, the student voice and leadership team at my school when I was still a classroom teacher. And uh, Tere um, was an individual, he had worked in root ed- education. He's always been really interested in education. Um, his cousin is my former student, his uncle is um is is a guy that is he is just a towering figure in education in um in the state of Colorado and um I got to meet Tere and just watch his thoughtfulness in action as he interacted with my students and tried to learn about them eventually we made a connection got to know each other a little bit um now we're both too busy to <laughs> to text each other super regularly um by the way Tere you're it I think maybe I'm it I don't know um, but I was really, really thrilled to finally create the space for Tere to um, share his story and his work with Ednium, the Alumni Collective. Um, Tere was born and raised here in Denver, Colorado, uh, just like your boy. Um, he went to Abraham Lincoln High School. He graduated from the University of Denver. And now he runs Ednium, which has been a long time in construction. And now Ednium is really taking off. I really regret and I want to publicly apologize for not getting this episode out sooner. Uh, Ture was hoping to uh, invite you all to um, his fundraiser. But definitely go and find Ednium. That's E-D-N-I-U-M on um, social media. Uh, they're very active. Ture has a wonderful podcast. Um, it's also a very good poet and rapper. Uh, check that out. But Ture's dedication has been how we connect older Gen Z and millennials uh, who graduated from Denver Public Schools to the work that we're doing in DPS. Um, we're nowhere without community, y'all. Um, and I know sometimes our, com- our relationships with community are kind of fraught and difficult and complex and full of trauma and harm, but we need community and community needs us. And um, talking to Tere was wonderful today. I really hope that you enjoy this episode of the Chicano Logs. Uh, like it, please subscribe, please tell your friends. I am no longer putting the Chicano Logs on the Two Dope Teachers feed. I need y'all to go and subscribe and be a part of it. Um, and uh, just enjoy this conversation with Tere. And um, I will catch you on the next episode. Peace, y'all. 
Hey, what's good, everybody? Welcome to the Chicano Logs. We are here. We are a Two Dope production. So if you're hearing this on the Two Dope Teachers and a Mic podcast feed, that's dope. Keep listening to us there. We we like when you listen to us there. Absolutely. Um, but also do me a favor and head over to the Chicano Logs. We actually do have our own podcast feed and like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating. Today, we like those five-star ratings, right? Yeah, like, five-star, five-star. Five star ratings or nothing. Like seriously, like don't <laughs> don't give me. Somebody gave me a two star. I'm like, oh, what what's, what does that what does that even mean? Like I understand five and one. You. Yeah, that's kind of how it feels. It, it's probably somebody I know. Dang, mm-hmm. always disappointing. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not gonna let uh, I'm not gonna let things bother me. But yeah, um, you can as always follow us on the two dope teachers social media platforms. You can support us in the same way that you support Tudo Productions. And this this is my little thing. So to Ray Esquivel from Ednium, welcome to What's the up, Chicano man? Logs. I appreciate it. I see you're hitting you. Yeah, man. I see you hitting that Red Bull. Like I feel I feel that. I, I feel that. <laughs> I told my wife, I was like, yo, like the Red Bull is the uh pre-podcast like tradition. It's probably not the healthiest thing in the world, but yeah. <laughs> Oh no, I'm guilty of it too. I I used to like super look down my nose at people who you who like drank Red Red Bull and Monster and all that stuff, and then I started graduate school yep, and yep. <laughs> working full time. And I'm like, you know what? It's a, it's a Red Bull day. Happens. It's a Red Bull day. Man. Um, Shoot, that got me through college for real. Red Bulls. And I feel like that's just. I feel like you're like you you need that. It's like that. It's like that legal performance enhancer, right? Yeah, <laughs> gets you going. I well, uh, Trey, no, thank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, hey, I hope I didn't pull you too far away from the Bronco game. Um, see you rocking this. Is it over? Did it end? I watched. I don't like, even part know, of it. man. I'm a poor Broncos okay. fan. I'm a, I'm a bigger Nuggets fan than I am a Broncos fan. But oh, 100. percent I think that's one of the. It's one of the things we've uh, we've bonded over is the 2023 NBA champion Denver Nuggets. Yes, sir. Uh, which is super cool. Um, yeah. So uh, just thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Um, you know, as you and a lot of listeners know, a lot of the purpose of the Chicano Logs is to host dialogues with people from our comunidad and, you know, just kind of like go in there and just see what it is that you're up to. You come from a long line of, uh, of Chicanitos from, from Southwest Denver. And, uh, and so it's cool to have that. And so a lot of it is like just me examining my own positionality and identity, um, while just learning about the dope work that folks like you are doing. Hey man, no, I appreciate it. It's been something that, uh, I've been trying to tap into a little bit more intentionally lately. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like from a background standpoint, cultural standpoint. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here, dog. I'm, I'm rolling with yeah, the big no, dogs now. You feel me? With the <laughs> with Mr. Munoz. <laughs> hey, you know, you know, it's, it is what I is, what it is. So we're going to get into sort of talking a little bit about Ednium, the alumni network that you've spent the last few years building. Uh, but first, just kind of give us a little background on yourself and, you know, who is it that you are? What is it that's, you know, in your life experiences have kind of brought you uh, to where you are today? Yeah, man. I, honestly, man, this is going to sound crazy because a lot of people laugh at me when I'm like, yo, I turned 30 this year and I'm feeling like I'm <laughs> in this like third life crisis or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah man, I mean, I mean, I remember 30. 
Yeah, that's what I'm just kidding. Me. I, I, I don't remember 30, actually. It was a really long time ago. <laughs> so many people are like, 30, man, come on, dog. We ain't trying to hear all that. And I'm like, nah, it's, it's, it's been an evaluation time for me, you know? Uh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I, I try to, I'm somebody who tries to show up as authentically as I can everywhere I go. Um, you know, my yeah. hope is like when things, when things finally do come to an end, people will say, yeah, like he he showed up and who he was and his value system kind of stayed true um, in every room yeah. he was in. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, I kind of come from, you know, a mixed cultural kind of background. Um, you know, my dad being mixed race and my mom being mixed race. And, you know, it was, it was kind of this it was kind of this interesting uh, thing growing up and trying to trying to figure out what that identity was. Um, yeah. I remember one time I was frustrated with it. <laughs> I came to my pops and I was like, hey, dad. I was like, I was I was mad because he would have a lot of conversations about my dad is half black, half Latino. And he'd have okay. a lot of conversations about what that looks like. And I remember like yeah. 10, 11, uh, going to my dad, like frustrated, like almost in tears. Like, <laughs> yo, like, what am I? Like, what are we? Yeah. He, yeah. I'll never forget it, man. He takes this. He takes his Marlboro Reds. He packs them, he lights a cigarette, like in like those old school like movies, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> takes a drag. This feels like a like, movie scene, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> takes a drag, looks me in my eyes, he goes, son, all you gotta know is you ain't white. And like for whatever <laughs> I <mean>. reason. <laughs> like for I whatever mean, reason, like, they gave me a lot of clarity, man. Like the people sure, that love you are sure. black and brown people. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. uh yeah. So that gave me some clarity. Um but a lot of my story I say starts with uh you know, I was a teen parent. I was kind of like yep. in this in this mode where it could have went light left or right. And um yep. you know, my son was born and uh he was born three months premature. So that was crazy at sixteen yeah. to have a kid that's one pound of fourteen ounces, you know what I'm saying? And Whew. not really even yeah. understanding the significance of that at that time because I never had a baby yeah. before. It was just kind of par for the course. But to see my mom like immediately cry when she walked into the room. Yeah, but that was like a turning point, and I tell a lot of people that uh, you know I was a good student. Like I did well on the tests, mm -hmm. I did well in school. Yeah. I liked school. It was like a, it was a space where I could at least kind of figure out an answer because there was a lot of stuff going on around me that like I couldn't find right. any answers for. Um, so oh, I thrived, yeah. and then um, after having a kid, you know, you you start to realize like, oh, okay, they're treating me a little bit different. I'm not like an automatic win. Uh, in the system, so yeah. But the father now, two two kids. Uh, I, my son is thirteen. Uh, he's about to your, your son is super cool, year. by the way. Hey, I he's, appreciate he's that, man. He's a cool dude. Super cool kid. Like I had a chance to uh, hang out with the two of you a little while back, and yeah. um, just a uh, just a really cool kid. Like, yeah. and um, you know, and and the way he looks at you as his dad is 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 also really beautiful. It's been, it's been the, uh, I, he saved my life, man. Like, I don't know. He came out and like who he is, like naturally, you feel me? I'm just trying not to mess it up. And, yeah. And like, <laughs> but in a lot of ways, man, like he gave me this like refocus. Like everyone was like, man, how'd you do college? How'd you do all this with, uh, you know, with the kid? And I was like, in a lot of ways it made yeah. it easier. Cause I was like, look, like. I wasn't distracted by the, all the extra stuff. It like it just refocused yeah. me. It's like I'm gonna be home at nine o'clock yeah. anyway. He's asleep. I might as well write this damn paper. Still doing it yeah. at the last minute, but we got it done. You feel me? And um, 
yeah, man, he, he changed my life. So wife and kids, you know, me and his mom are still together and, yeah. um, you know, I've had a still really closely tied and connected to my home community, even though I went to college. And I think yeah. that was a blessing, you know, going to yeah. the University of Denver because I didn't have to yeah. lose those ties and being grounded to you yeah. know, kind of what raised me and made me. So um, I don't know, man, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm somebody that's just trying to, you know, follow through with his word. And, uh, yeah do something real yeah yeah well, i appreciate you sharing that and um you know it's it, it's a smaller and smaller number of people doing work in denver who are from denver right yeah and yeah. you know especially considering how difficult it is to to live here to stay here and to mm -hmm. you know be in that space and you know it it is interesting because that you know i think I think the high school you went to had a lot of fair, fairly unfair um, stereotypes and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And, and, but even today, like you just got an amazing community of, of kids, especially who, who go through that school, who have yeah. that kind of pride. So, so you, you, you were able to get this degree and, and it's interesting because I think, I, I think that, um, it doesn't always work out, right? Like there, there have been many men of color who have become parents as teenagers mm -hmm. and, you know, while it refocused you and gave you a sense of purpose that that's not an inherent thing, nah. you know? And so I think, um, <laughs> I think the decision you made to do that, you know, I mean, I don't know if it was so much of, I guess it was a decision, but like, there's two things. One, what was interesting is my wife would say like what's it, what makes me mad is people see me and they see just another teenage mom and they see yeah. you as a teenage dad and you're there and you get all these like pats on the back you know uh, we got a lot yeah. of conversations about yeah you know, the perception of what it meant to like take care of your kid at a young age between yep. you know the man and the woman and that's that's something i thought about but two was yeah. like dog like it, it was <laughs> It's pretty clear. It was pretty clear to me why a lot of people of color, men of color in particular, um, have a hard time with it. Like I remember vividly, like we'd be in the appointments. Like I would try to go with her to mm -hmm. all the appointments. Like yeah, you know, and the doctor would just straight up turn their backs to me. It's like, oh, you planning on being here? Like there was this like undertone mm. through their words and their actions consistently of like an assumption that like yeah. And I've always met somebody that was like, all right, well, bet. Like, I'm gonna prove you wrong, right? Like I always had this like, chip <laughs> on my shoulder, so that yeah. <laughs> that probably helped in my case. But it's it's interesting how from the school system, the healthcare system, everything, um, things are kind of built with like predetermined expectations of what you are and what you yeah. are. You know. Yeah, so. I have to <laughs> I have to laugh a little bit um, because um, you know you'll turn 30 this year. You have a son who's mm -hmm. knocking on the door of high school, right? Yeah. Um, my daughter was born when I was 30. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> so you look at that with, you know, it's interesting because I think that, um, I, I think that because I don't, I don't see us as being that far, far apart in age. You know, I get into mm -hmm. conversations with you and, and I just, I, I, it feels like we're peers, no offense, cause mm -hmm. I'm old. Um, <laughs> but I'm honored by that. But it, yeah. It is one of those things, but yeah, so you started, so you finish your college degree, mm -hmm. um, you go to the University of Denver, which has, you know, kind of a prestigious um, reputation, especially around the time um, that, that you were there. Um, so 
and and you do some work in community and you make this this decision to start building this thing called Mm -hmm. Ednium. So tell us a little bit about how you arrived at this decision to say, you know, maybe I need to start this thing. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's kind of a long story. I'll try to make it relatively short. That's okay. It started your platform this year. Yeah. Like, if I reflect on it, it really started in high school. Like, well, first off, I had to talk to one of our alumni and he was like, yo, how'd you do X, Y, and Z? I was like, look, dog, like, this stuff wasn't like pre planned. Like, we're kind of just figuring stuff out. Like, you know, NEM as an organization was never originally thought of as an organization, but I'll get there. So, you know, in high school, I had my son. Yeah, take us through it. I had a lot of, yeah, I had a lot of cool. You know, in the midst of feeling like a lot of people turned their back on me, I, that was few that like poured into me, you know. And um, so I ended up getting the Daniels Fund uh, scholarship. And I remember getting the Daniels Fund scholarship because freshman year, one of the cool things Lincoln did is they would take you to a different college campus every year. So freshman mm-hmm. year, they took us to DU. And when they took us to DU, it like tripped me out because I went to Lincoln. And so it was like, man, that's like a whole different world. And we didn't have to turn. And but just straight down. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just straight down Evans. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was crazy. That's wild. You don't even have to turn. (laughs) You don't even have to turn. You go, you know, you go under that bridge. It's it was wild. Yeah. And um That's right. I remember my mom picked me up from football practice that day. And uh I come in and I'm hyped, like, yo. And I was talking to her about like the free hamburgers and the French fries and the and the ice cream <laughs> and the cold roofs, like all the things that didn't actually And, and I will say as a as in 23 years as a high school teacher, um, that was always what people yeah. were saying. Like, yo, but the food though. The food, bro, soft serve, what? I gotta I gotta get my own sprinkles, dog. Like this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I remember getting in the car and I was telling her, and I was like, Yeah, yeah, this, 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 and that, and um Oh, and by the way, it's like fifty thousand dollars a year, and whoo, and I swear you could have heard like the record like scratch, like, and she like looked at me like I cussed in front of her or something. <laughs> and, but I remember she looked me in my eye. She was honest with me, and this is this is the gift my mom has always given me. She was always very honest, where she was just like, "Look, man, like if that's something you want, you're gonna have to figure out how to get there. Like I can't really help yeah. you with that." Yeah. And so, like her being honest with me, it like set this tone. So then I'd heard about Daniel's fund. And I was on the lookout, yep. right? So like they came yep. to school, I got it. Everything transpired with that's wild. Know, my and, kid and that's and not an easy scholarship to come by, right? And you know this this whole experience you had of of your life being kind of upended by becoming a, a father at sixteen. Not that it was a bad thing, but nah. so many more things to navigate. And just try, just want to make sure we don't bury the lead that like that's that's a hard scholarship to get. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't think about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. You don't. You just. You, but you knew. You knew the assignment, as they say, right? You knew you needed to go get that like, break. Okay. Yeah. If if it's where I want to land, I'm gonna have to pay for it, and mm-hmm. this is so. Let's just let's just get this going. Exactly. So I was I was just on a mission, like on it, like yeah. Um, and you know, like the my son being born, like that was, but like two two months before I found out, you know, my wife was pregnant. I'd gotten hurt, gotten these concussions, and couldn't play sports anymore. Mm-hmm. And like that was such a huge piece of my identity. It was like yeah. this thing got stripped away, but I think it really got stripped away so I could be prepared to be a dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which you know I still wasn't prepared. But anyways, I get the Daniels Fund scholarship. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> but I get the Daniels Fund, 
And I remember being like, oh, okay. Like there's these things called foundations that you could work for that can like change people's lives. And you don't have to be the like billionaire. Like you can, I want to run a, I want to run the Daniels fund. I want to run a foundation like this. That was my mentality going into college. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I get to school. I ended up getting this like job. Um, was the group visit fellow. Shout out to Claudia and Miriam and and everybody over there. But I started doing these presentations and these speeches, and it was you know mm. one of the first times that somebody like heard me talk and say like, "Yo, your voice matters." Um, and they started just putting me on these stages, talking to people from my high school and like all across the city. And I wow. told them the one caveat that I would take from doing this, like is I'm going to tell my story and I'm going to tell them what's real. I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to put on this like dog and pony show. Like, yeah. And they said, okay. And they like, let me use my voice in a real way. And that was like some of the most empowering things ever. That's, that's amazing. And, uh, graduated. I ended up doing a year at, uh, El Pomar, the El Pomar foundation. Cause again, that, okay. that mentality was still in my mind. Yeah. Leo calls me back. I'm an admission counselor. And this is where we kind of start the framing of this starts to kind of take shape where as an admission counselor, I was like, cool, I'll come back. I'll be an admission counselor. Y'all pay for my grad school. And yeah. I want Denver. <laughs> like, I want to recruit mm. Denver. So mm. I had Denver and Aurora as my main territories, plus, you know, yeah. some things around the country. But yeah. so for two and a half years, man, like I was in high schools helping, you know, helping students go through this college process. But one of the things that like I didn't realize that was so impactful was like when you're helping families out trying to apply for college, it's like you're not only helping the student, you're helping the family. And you yeah. get into these conversations, um, especially <clears throat> when it came time to talk about money, right? Like you would get into these conversations yeah. about like their life story. And with DU, that's a that's a conversation that's going to oh, happen yeah. because of how high the tuition is. Yeah. Yeah. I'd get myself in trouble because I'd be like, dog, you don't need to come here. Like you have a full ride scholarship to CSU. Like, why are you going to yep. pay 10, 15, $20,000 yep. a year? Like this don't make sense. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-mm. Um, Mm-mm. Or shout out to Todd Reinhardt. He's the VP over there, <laughs> but like I would knock on his door. And every time I knocked on his door, he knew I was about to just argue with him about some kid that I knew had a shot that could do something that like would have made our like <laughs> traditional process every year. I had like five or 10 of those. Yeah. Uh, but I started to notice couple things one who was getting in obviously it wasn't kids that looked right. like me all the time no um number two who was getting in and wasn't really prepared for it and someone didn't tell them everything they needed to tell them and now they've dropped out and they got this yeah. debt and they're kind of stuck like i, I just started to mm. see the the underbelly and the 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 mismanaged expectations of yep. what college was supposed yep. to do for us and i was a lack of support like, yeah. The lack of support. And I'm like, I'm a DU grad. I got my pleather shoes on and my K and G like three for $150 suit. <laughs> said, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody thinks I'm fly, but I'm making thirty, thirty five thousand dollars a year. Like yeah. I'm broke. Like yeah. I, I feel like I'm lying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. it was Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like I'm lying. Um and so, anyways, I, I, I get this, I end up getting this opportunity and I get reached out to uh, by one of my greatest mentors, uh, Bernard McCune. And he was like, yo, man, we're doing yeah. this thing called Blue School Partners. I know what that was at the time. Like, mm-hmm. all I knew was he was offering me a lot more money. It was a quasi foundation and they were giving me this title of the director of community empowerment. I said, bet. Hey. It's like, <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> sounds, sounds good. good. Yeah. And so, 
and they started talking to me about this concept of charter schools, which I didn't really know anything about th- at that time. Yeah. And uh, all I knew was like the kids from DPS that looked like me that had support going in were coming from DSST, KIPP, and all these spaces. I knew these organizations had, they had partnerships. You're seeing this on the other side of the K through 12 experience. Exactly. So that's my only perspective. Like, you know what I mean? It was usually the rich white kids who had somebody coming in to represent them in these admissions conversations. These kids coming from Southwest all of a sudden had it too. Yeah, and I, I don't know if if this was this overlapped with your time at DU as a student or when you were working at the university. But I remember a report coming out years ago um, about DU being the least diverse campus in the country. Oh, yeah. um, and I don't, I don't know if you were there when that report came out or maybe it was a little bit after you, but, but it's, it was really interesting because around the time I was doing my, no, it would have been way before you because here, yeah, here's how I, I know because because I was working on my master's degree, which was 16 years ago, which mm-hmm. was when you were 13. So you were <laughs> not at DU nah, not <laughs> when yet. I was working on my master's degree. <laughs> um, so that makes, okay. Now, so the timelines are starting to materialize for me. So, so you go to this, you, you've, had, you've had this experience of kind of seeing where there is preparedness and support and where there isn't. And it mm-hmm. cuts along racial lines. Very clearly. Racial and I'd say economic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Cause it, it was, it really just kind of boiled down to support whether or not yeah. that kid had, had support in, in a community, you know, around them. But so this is all my perspective on what these were. And at the time, like I yeah. was mad at my high school experience. I was mad at like the system overall. So what was told to me was like, yeah. Hey, here's this new mechanism that we can start to leverage to kind of like help the community. I was like, cool, I'm going to go in. I'm 25 years old. I have this this title, not necessarily recognizing I was kind of walking into something new or like like in terms of the organization. <laughs> and then I just get like punched in the stomach and slapped in the face with the politics of K-12 education. Like I did not oh, know what I was walking into. man. Uh, and um, yeah. And I remember my very, very, very first meeting, very first community meeting was in Montbello. And I walk in and I say, hi, my name's Trey. I'm the you know director of community uh, community empowerment, like feeling good. And all I hear is this woman in the background. Who the hell your young ass going to empower? I'm already empowered. <laughs> and so I'm like. And you're like. Yeah, like, oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. And she, but she she put me on game, right? She was like, look, yeah, I'm not mad at you. But what I do know is that there's a history, a long history of that's right. Like these different folks coming in saying they're going to change everything. They dictate, they move, they don't listen to nobody. They leave the job half done and we're left here picking up the pieces. What makes you different? That's exactly right. right. Yep. And I think about that you know, as, as a DPS central office employee now, and, you know, just kind of looking at these places where, where we have not historically, there has not been some mm-hmm. authentic support historically. And that, that goes all the way back to when my friends, uh, Ken and Robert were mm-hmm. going to Montbello high school in the early to mid nineties. And I'm pretty sure, uh, for quite a ways before that too. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I imagine you standing up there saying, uh Oh, but also saying, yeah, I mean, yep. 
you're probably right. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't know nothing. Like, I, I've been, you know, I, I, I've, I've always had a reputation of not listening, but like, I, I listen to wisdom. <laughs> I listen yeah. to experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and so when she told me that, like, to me, it felt like it was kind of a gift because, like, I, mm. I strongly feel like people that don't love you won't tell you the truth. And, like, she gave me that reality check, like, really, Ooh, really early, you know? That's true. And uh, so it was like, all right, well, put up or shut up. Like, <laughs> like try to do something real here. And it was crazy, man. Like, in that meeting, they would, I was taking my notes, and they were talking about, like, they needed a piece of data that they were looking for. I don't even remember what it was. It was, like, kind of some throwaway thing and put them aside. I right. go in the next day, you know, looking through them. Hey, how do I get this information? Oh, talk to such and such. Boom, boom get the information, just shoot it off to her. Not even thinking anything of it. And they're like, yo, like this is the first time like anybody in that position actually like followed up with something like this. And so it's yep. like, oh, okay, cool. So what we see is like, number one, community has a long memory, right? Like yeah, yeah. some of the stories out here, it's like you understand why people are angry. And then you see that there's this disconnect and of how this like game is played. And like somehow I always found myself... Yeah. Kind of like whatever room I in, I was in, I was like the opposite thing. So like all the quote unquote reformers <laughs> thought I was like this like traditional schools person, all these traditional schools folks, yep. and union folks. I was a big old reformer. And I'm like, yo, like yeah. quite frankly, I don't give a damn about the the struggle. Like I care about the fact that my people aren't being prepared to thrive. Like that's what I'm mad about. So yeah. how, let's solve this problem. Yep. Right. And mm -hmm. like you're not. Yeah. Cut right to the chase. And you're not going to you're not going to shake me. I know who I am. Like my, my validity doesn't come yeah. from this title or y'all like you thinking I'm cool. Like I'm very clear on who loves me. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, I yeah. have to, I have to wake up and look my son and my daughter in the face and tell them I was doing what was real. I'm not getting, I feel yeah. like a lot of people in like educational politics, education, or I guess anywhere like attach too much of their identity to like the crowds are around at that particular time. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I, and I do think that there's an extent to which the, yeah, it's probably everywhere, but I think in education, having spent a quarter of a century of my life working in this particular education system, you definitely see that. And there's definitely this constant threat that you'll be absorbed into, mm. you know, into the matrix as it were. <laughs> And, yeah. uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the biggest challenge in this particular system is to be able to, I mean, I, I always say this sort of jokingly, I have to start saying it more seriously because hmm. like people don't hear it when they think I'm joking, but it is really, and you'll appreciate this, this idiom, like it is about how you can be an artist in the industry and not an industry artist. Yeah, right? So if yeah. all you're doing, yeah, exactly. So if all you're doing is trying to regenerate what the industry is telling you to regenerate, I mean, yo, you'll climb mm -hmm. and you'll get promoted. You'll move up. Um, but are you going to make the impact yeah. that brought you here? I'm actually at a real crossroads with that in, in, in my work hmm. in the system. Um, and uh, that's something we'll talk about another oh, yeah. time for sure. Yeah. Um, so th this this is what's amazing to me, and I and I don't want to overly harp on on your age and mm -hmm. your youth, but the fact that all these experiences you've been having these experiences, and this is only in the last few years, mm -hmm. right? Like, and I think about myself at your age now. Obviously, 
when I was a new teacher, things like social media, everything, all the information wasn't at our fingertips. It was, it was different trying to get out there, but man, I was not thinking about any of this stuff in, not on that level. Um, I think for me, you know, and my, my college experience was pretty traumatic. And so I was just trying to like survive. Um, and then, you know, you get caught up in, you get caught up in survival and you, and you forget that there's more to life than mm-hmm. just surviving. And, and literally, bro, it's just been in the last few years that I'm like, you know, given a life expectancy, like mm-hmm. I'm on the average, I'm past the halfway point of my life right now, mm-hmm. like based on life expectancy. So how, how do I start doing this? Yeah. But it, it just sounds like you were looking for the authentic immediately yeah immediately and i I'm, think that's what's really striking about about hearing this part of your story yeah i mean i think that came from like i don't know man like i said like i spent a lot of time in southwest denver when i was in college right like yeah um so even in college like it wasn't like i was trying to be mr cool guy college person you, you feel what i'm saying i had a son yeah. like yeah i had this other stuff that i was that i was focused and worried about and like i had my wife man like I didn't have to worry about the dating and all that. Like I was able to just stay focused. Yeah, that I, was I had somebody that had been riding with me when I had nothing. You're, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. And she's always, uh, she's always encouraged me to, to be real about things, or at least you know yeah. what I think is real at the time. Um, right. And like, there's a lot of times where things could have gone left, man, in the neighborhood. There was a, I was smart and ambitious, so I could figure out a way to get myself in trouble. And I had a lot yep. of people pull me aside that didn't have to, that were like really in the shit yep. saying like, look, dog, like this isn't for you. Like you got something different. Like I, I feel the sense of responsibility to them. And I know that like if yeah. all of this fails and like I'm no longer cool enough to be on the, on pod, on this podcast or whatever, like <laughs> those are the folks that I'm that I'm going back to, like like those communities, that that environment is what made me, you know what I mean? So like, we ain't about to walk around like we're any different or anything like that. Like they're the ones that give us our power, you know? And we have a sense of responsibility. So when I was in there, you know, I just, I kind of started seeing through the cracks of community engagement in general, like on both sides of the fence. I started seeing, you know, community voice actually being more of a, a rubber stamp to predetermined ideas and actions than they were actually to inform those processes um but yeah, more so than a anything box to check a box to check exactly but more than anything man like you know at that age i'm sitting down and i'm talking to a lot of my friends some of them went to college some of them didn't and they're all telling me the same thing like i feel lied to bro like i wow. did what they said i was supposed to do and when you talk to parents and families and community members at these like school board forums or these uh, whatever thing that everybody was caught up in at that particular point, like right. nothing you yeah. heard at the table had anything to do with what they were talking about on stage. They were arguing about their yeah. own stuff. These folks are saying like, yo, I, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out like. Ma- imagine that. Imagine imagine having a school board that just argued amongst themselves. <laughs> right. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> and people want to act like it's new, <laughs> but this thing has been, this, this has been the case. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a. Uh, yeah. And then so it's like we had this whole wave of like community engagement being the like buzzword, but nobody was really like they were engaging, but they weren't connecting. 
they weren't building relationships, you know? So I was just like in this really unique place where I'm like in these fancy boardrooms, but like nobody like would ever think that I was like, you know, in this, in this position, like just like on the street. So I got to have real conversations with people. Um, and shout out to Pat Donovan, man. Cause the the organization went through a little bit of a change and they brought Pat Donovan in. My initial thought was like, who's this dude? Like, you know, coming in. (laughs) And so my whole funny story, all, all three of, uh, Pat Donovan's kids were my students. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah so that's like yeah. I had I I had two of them actually in class and then one actually played soccer for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's yeah. Cool. So um yep, yep, good he's, stuff. Small world. He's uh one of the few people I've ever seen, and I don't want to just categorize him in the box of like a white man, but like I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. Somebody asked me, like, do I have any examples of any, you know, white people that know how to lead people of color? And I was like, Pat mm-hmm. Donovan. And the mm-hmm. reason why I say that is not only because he continues to to support me and us now, but like when he got in there, I was in this mindset of like, look, I'm gonna lose my job anyway. Um, and yeah. so when he got there, we got into a room and I was like, I'm just going to tell him what I want to do. Like, this is my plan. This is how I want to how I want to move and operate. Yeah. Half expected him to say, like, get out of here. Like, what are you talking about? Because this is like the <laughs> second time I met him, right? Yeah. And he goes, he says something like, man, if you can accomplish all of that, like, you won't have to work again in a day in your life. <laughs> and what he turned around and did, like, think about this, what he did. Uh, I think I'm 27 at this time. He said, you know what? I'm going to promote you to partner so people will take you seriously when you walk into these rooms. Here's okay. your budget. Go do what you got to do. And if you make a mistake, we'll figure it out. Go. Like he almost was like, here's all the tools. Prove that you really want to build the stuff you want to build. Yeah. And then backed me up when I did. That's deep. That's deep. You know, like it's. No, that's great. I got this category of white folks that that I'll refer to as John Brown white folks. So these are these are the people that are going to burn Harper's Ferry with me when the time comes. Right. <laughs> so and it's a short list, bro. It's a short yeah. list. And uh, sounds yeah. like Pat belongs on that list. Shout out Chris Deer uh, in the great city of New Orleans. Shout out Tracy Nance. Uh, oh. Yeah. So that that's going to be the the John Brown, John Brown White People Hall of Fame. So, um, <laughs> man, I mean, and even beyond that, like he he's he dropped a piece of game to me that i that i think about every day and it's this concept of what he calls his leadership shadow and what he was Mm. saying was like everybody that works with him or for him should ultimately surpass him or be in a better position as a result of it you know what i mean oh wow he was like that's how i try to that's how i try to lead and he was like whatever you do like be conscientious of that leadership shadow like you're either gonna yeah you're gonna leave a shadow regardless you feel what i'm saying like so no, that's like right. Be thoughtful of what that is. And so anyways, all of this, he empowered me maybe too much because, you know, one of the things we noticed was like, all right, cool. We talk about families. We talk about students voice. We talk about teacher voice. No one's talking yeah. about me. Like, yeah, I was a parent mm. in the district at the time, but like me and all my homies who are in our twenties kind of dealing with the consequences of our education like trying to make sense and trying to make something out of the things we did like hold up like i think we have an important perspective on what didn't didn't prepare us for life Mm -hmm. and so i was able to partner with dsf shout out Lori, shout out naked dana um to do this initial like research project that's all this was supposed to be Mm -hmm. 
and we got like a hundred. And for those of you out of state, this is the Denver Scholarship Foundation. Yeah. So if you're not in so, Denver, you're not going to know what that is. That's what, no, don't yeah, yeah, my bad. Denver my, that's that's my job yeah. to make sure people know. <laughs> <laughs> and just a quick shout out to DSF, Denver Scholarship Foundation. You know, they have future centers in a lot of our high schools. I wouldn't have gotten to college if it wasn't for my DSF advisor. Um, they do scholarships, yeah. but they do more than that. They like, they make you believe that you could go do this thing. And then they help build the community around you to uh, to be successful, as successful as you can be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No so doubt. what we did is we gathered like 150 alumni together. We just asked them two simple questions. Like, what do you wish you knew? And what do you wish you knew how to do? Like when you left school that mm. could actually helped you define and achieve your success. Yeah. Put all that together. Um, presented it to the school board. At the time, Susana Cordova was the superintendent. Uh, she invited us to come speak at the senior leadership team meeting. So we brought mm -hmm. some of the alumni that helped us with that process to that meeting. And we, we shared with them all the stuff and I'm walking out of there feeling like feeling good. Like I just did something, you know what I mean? <laughs> we're, walking, <laughs> we're walking into the elevator and I'm like, yeah, how you feel? How you feel? And we had one alumni go like, I mean, that was cool, but like, are we going to do something or did you just waste my time, man? Like just very blunt. And it brought me back to that woman in Montbello, you know? And uh, I was like, well, shit, what? I don't know if I can cuss on here. So I'm like, well, shoot, what do you, what do you want to do? Fine. Yes, you can. Yes, you yeah. can. We'll, we'll tell you. You know how this works, too, is click the little E and be like, there might be some cuss words in here. Little kids, like, well, if you don't want them to hear it, you then, go. you know, put on your, put on your, your, put on your head. Go ahead. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> My podcast, my grandma was like, I like your podcast, but I wish you didn't curse so much. I'm like, hey, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, grandma. <laughs> I'm trying to be, yeah, I can't, I can't express myself fully without this. I'm sorry. I'm not that, you know, evolved yet. But, um, <laughs> anyways, like he was like, did you just waste my time? And it made me think of the woman was like, hey, people come in here. They do some report. They do some thing. They study us. And then like yeah. nothing happens. Yep. So I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And we like came quickly of. All right, first we need to figure out how do you move a bureaucracy? Like we know that yelling and screaming and and doing this thing for attention it might bring you attention in the short term, but it's not going to lead to sustainable yeah. change. How do you actually like build something for real? Yeah. And so like 20 of them rolled with me and I just I, I called folks and was like, hey, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm trying to do this. Like, will you ride with me? And they were like, yeah. And this is yeah. at like the height of the pandemic, mind you. So mm. We uh we decided to get together. We got together like every Wednesday or something, like once a week. Mm. Um, and I was able to leverage my position to bring some of the folks in that I built relationships with. People like, you know, now Senator James Coleman and Representative yeah. Bacon was on the school board at the time. We brought, you know, different folks that typically we wouldn't be able to have a chance to engage with authentically. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like to just kick it yeah. for like an hour or two. And say, yeah. Give us real game. Like, how do you actually make something move here? And yeah. on top of that, we just kind of shared stories and built community in a time where like everybody was at home locked away, you know? Yeah. And that's when we eventually landed on, well, before I get to that, we ended up, you know, they were like, hey, we need to, this needs to be a real thing. Like we need to put a name to this, you know? And I quickly realized like, I'm not going to be able to make good on my commitment to them if I stayed at what's now Rude Ed. Um, Mm. And not because Rude Ed was bad. Right, right. right. But what you, what you learned quickly is that, like, I was consistently hedging 
and I'd have to like what they were talking about was not the what Rude was talking about. So right. I couldn't I couldn't authentically and for real represent. Well, and them. and 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 you're you're still no matter how good an organization is, you're still working within the vision and mission of that organization, exactly. and so there there comes this this moment. And it sounds like that moment came for you where it's kind of like I've got things that I would like to accomplish that you may not fit yeah. neatly. And I, and I may not want to shift them and make them conform to this other system. This other system is great, but you know, I kind of want to strike my own path. Yeah. It just kind of needs to be its own thing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I got, I was fortunate and in my mind, I was like, all right, well, let me go get a job. that's a little bit more outside of education. And then I could build this thing for real. Yeah. And I applied to, a job at Gary Community Ventures. Shout out to Damien, uh, who who's not there anymore. But, you know, he called me and he was like, all right, I'm gonna give you two options. He's like, you can, you can kind of try to build this here at Gary, we'll hire you. And, you know, that salary was looking nice, man, I ain't gonna lie. Like, you know, my salary route was too. He's like, or we could give you a, like your initial $100,000 grant. And we'll give you some office space for a year for you to try. And I said, well, which one would allow me to own the ideas? Um, he's like, well, the grant. Like, if you did this under Gary, it'd have to be under Gary. I'm like, all right, cool. Let me sit with right. I go to my wife. And I'm like, yo, I'm about <laughs> to leave this, like, really good job in the middle of a pandemic to start a nonprofit cool. with $100,000. Um, what do you think? She was like, well, you can't be out here telling everybody to go do their own thing. And then you have an opportunity <laughs> and you don't take it. Like. <laughs> and she was like, uh, she was like, we've been broke before. We've been broke yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, oh, I, I'm only laughing because I feel like I have, I'm having similar conversations in my life. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, and so she was like, well, go and jump. And so I jumped. And shout out to Gary too, because one of the things I told him was like, we don't want to be dictated by what y'all are working on. If what y'all are working on is in alignment with what yep. alumni are saying. You know, we could figure yep. something out, which we finally found. We found something that we're working on now, but never once that when I said no to things did they put that pressure on me. Like they really genuinely kept their word. Um, yeah. And so like we've grown, we, we named it Ednium, you know, in that first cohort is where we landed on financial literacy, cultural and ethnic studies. And that's a yeah. whole process. We got that done. That's launched this year. Um, and now we're on to a bunch of different things, but you know, it's just been a crazy, crazy journey of people yeah, being honest with you and like, like staying true to the thing you said you wanted to do and, and, and yeah. knowing really where your power comes from, what it can create, you know, and now alumni yeah. are killing it. Like, I just feel like I'm just amazing. The, the guy that raises the money, like they're driving it. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, so we're going to take a really quick break. Um, but we're going to talk about kind of what needs are being served. And you sort of named some of them, but uh, we're going to do that. So you said a little something about uh, personal financial literacy, yeah? (laughs) So I just want to take this moment to uh, name our partnership with uh, Satera Investors. So, um, Tere, was there anybody in your high school talking about personal financial literacy and building generational wealth? Yeah, mine either. And single person. No, and so... And and so I kind of came up just not believing that I could ever build generational wealth. Like uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna build wealth if I didn't start with wealth. And unfortunately, that's how it happens in this country, right? Um, at some point, I want to get you actually have you meet uh, Alex and Tori, 
um, who are sponsoring mm-hmm. us uh, from Satara Investors. They're in the Pasadena area. And um, bro, they're even younger than you. <laughs> And uh, one thing that Alex is really working hard to do is to find a way for educators to start building that wealth. And so he's got these kind of innovative sort of things and it's kind of dope Um, and it's great. So I actually, I think of when I think of some of the work that you're doing, kind of striking out to make a positive impact in community, I think about Alex and Tori. So it might be a fun conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're going to do an episode with them to sort of talk about how they landed on, you know, really helping folks from communities of color uh, build wealth. I feel like you'd be up for that. Oh, yeah. I'll be <laughs> up for that. Stuff. I will be yeah. tuning in. Well, folks, tune in too. Tune in. Yeah, definitely. And uh, folks, you, you can uh, find a link to Alex and Tori's uh, page. Um, and just for a consult, if you uh, mention too dope, when you meet with them, you will get 25% off of their subscription-based financial planning. Um, and so that's pretty good. 25%. It's not bad. I know we are worth 25%. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> we can do that. Anyway, so um, so coming back to um, to the work of Ednium, there's a couple of things that you said that I, that I literally wrote down, sort of talking a little bit about this very fundamental question of what do you wish you knew and what do you wish you knew how to do? And, and what, what an incredible seed, like you meant, you said right before the, uh, the little break that um, you just feel like it's the alumni doing things and you're the guy friend making and raising money. And I think it's because from day one, it wasn't about what was Therese's agenda. Therese experiences played a role but it was always coming from the community. So what is what is what are some of the needs that you see being served by by Ednium? And I mean, clearly, clearly there's a lot that's being served because you're growing, right? So what is it that's being served by Ednium? And you know, what do you see as Ednium's, you know, current future role in just in communities? Yeah, man, that, that's got the big question. Huge question when I ask myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big question, I think, yeah. because you know we we just turned three, and so we've been asking ourselves these questions lately. Um, I remember early on, I asked like, why do why do y'all keep showing up? You know, mm. uh, like when you were still doing just the informal weekly gatherings and just talking to people, why y'all still coming? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like why why are y'all still coming? And you know, on one hand, I think timing mattered because of, we were in the pandemic. It was like, hey, this is the first time I feel like I could just come in and be fully myself. Like one of the yeah. things that I heard the most, and I felt myself, especially for those that went to college, was like, look, I go into my college class or I go into my new whatever office job, and I have to put a piece of myself away to be able to operate mm. there. And then I go home and I have to put a piece of myself away from all these new experiences and all these new things I had, right? Like, like how do you create a platform and a space where people can bring their full authentic selves, flaws and all, you know? Yeah. How do we talk normal? Like the way we normally talk? Like, yeah, how do right. we, <laughs> right? Um, how can we, like, how can we complain about certain things that like maybe we don't feel comfortable complaining about it back home? Um, cause we don't want to yeah. come across as this or, you yeah. know, how do we, how do we express ourselves in a real way? So I think in, 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 that's one right. thing they've told us. Um, yeah, we're not doing enough. Um, we still got a bunch that, that we want to be able to get done. But I think the, the second thing is 
we're helping folks. If we're going to come and talk to you as an alumni, we're asking you to come and be a part of this process. We're committed to saying like, yo, you remember that thing you said? That had something to do with this thing actually getting done. Mm. And so, so many times our communities here, you know, we, we engage in these processes, we're in these focus groups, we're in this X, Y, and Z. And then like yeah. I, nothing happens, nothing changes. And so right. we're committed to saying like, all right, well, we heard what you said and here's how we're, how we're going about it. And as a matter of fact, like we need you to be a piece of this in, yeah. in this way to, to be able to drive and make this action happen. And yeah. my hope yeah. is, is that like everybody in the cohort and everybody in Edneum feels like they're the reason that financial literacy and cultural networking studies are requirements now, that they're going to be the yep. reason that they're the reason why, you know, we've expanded these scholarship programs in the city. Like I want them to be able to take ownership because um, none of it happens yeah. if they weren't willing to raise their hand in the first place, you know? So right. I think those are the two yeah. main functions. Um, yeah. I think in terms of like the ecosystem we serve, I would say like, I want us to have conversations in our research to be, the things that you say like a happy hour after the meeting. Does that make sense? Like, like yeah. how do you capture in a real way and inform the system, the real stuff, not this, not the prescribed. Yeah. yeah it's like, it's like, like that, that stuff. conversation, right? Exactly. It, it's yeah. like that conversation that is a fugitive conversation, right? When you, when you escape the space you you escape the place where you feel so constrained and you and you center the the fugitive dialogue right and mm -hmm. and you say no this is actually this is the work the people, yeah. you know yeah yep. Yep. Nah, that's dope i love it and so i think i love three it. functions man i think we can expand it yeah yeah no yeah sorry to interrupt that you know i think that's i think that's probably you know and 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 you said true to Teray style, uh, just still not doing what needs to be done. Still don't feel like you're doing enough, and and I think that's mm -hmm. I think that's one thing. But I think that another way to sort of think about that is that um, you have unearthed, you know, these these needs that have been buried all these years and for generations, and and now you see all these needs, and and it's like you can't respond quickly enough. But I think the I think the foundational thing that really resonates with me and hopefully resonates with the listeners is this idea that you don't start with some grand plan, strategic roadmap like type of thing. Mm -hmm. You start with something really simple. And what you've got is two really simple questions that have grown this to where it is. Um yeah. yeah. I mean, you want to say something about that? Yeah. Listeners to think yeah, like what I want the listeners to think about and what we want, like the the city, the world, whoever to think about is like, it's not just like starting off small. It's like, it's being very clear on like what the thing is you're trying to get done. And so yeah. like what we knew was like, we wanted alumni voice. And we've always said we want our alumni to thrive and be full participants of the city's democracy and economy. And I think where like the education system is gotten lost right now is like we're so focused on these inputs and the outputs right like the diplomas we're counting yeah diplomas we were talking about that the other day success. yeah yeah but nobody nobody's tracking how many people from our district at 25 can like feed their family or own a home yeah. or rent a home in in this city right like how many right. like what are we going to school for we're going to school for yeah or in order to like produce active positively contributing citizens who are self-fulfilled and can make a difference and can do things 
and right. nobody is even measuring whether or not that's happening. And so, like our biggest right. coach right now is saying, like, look, stop, J. Cole, stop, stop treating first downs like touchdowns, dog. Like graduation don't mean you did shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just a reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, the, the thing about that question that is so overwhelming, right. Is that I think, I think it's a question that if people are willing to hear, it's going to make them really uncomfortable because nobody has a good answer to it. Right. And I think that question, because when you posed it to me the other night, when we were talking, I think that question implies none of us is off the hook. So it isn't just mm-hmm. the school system that isn't giving kids what they need in order to exist as adults. It's, you know, I, I really believe in the in the phrase college isn't for everyone, but that's because college doesn't mm-hmm. want to be for everyone. So it, it, be, mm-hmm. it implies an important moment of self-reflection on the part of higher education, which my daughter's in uh, my daughter's at a school that's costing way too much. And uh, it's one of the most prestigious art schools on the planet. And she's like, dad, nobody here knows how to teach. These people don't know how to teach. Like somebody should make them teach us things because we've actually chosen to be here. (laughs) Right. And so Mm -hmm. it does imply this bigger conversation. It implies a conversation about rent, about living wages, about all these kinds of things, Mm -hmm. you know, and People are people are scared of that conversation. They they do seem very scared of the conversation, and because I think it ha- it requires us to admit that we haven't been focused on the right things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if we just just taking it back to education in and of itself, like I'm a firm believer that if my goal is to make sure that you have the tools and skills you need to define and achieve success, we wouldn't be counting our success as a school based on like how much seat time you have in this classroom. Right. That's like, right. That's right. I, yeah. We're hearing kids 100%. say like, yo, I had, I had four periods my senior year where I didn't have any actual class. I was just sitting in the main hallway. Oh yeah. No, it's that's like, my kid. All yep. right. Well, <laughs> we want to be, we want to be arguing over, you know, it wouldn't have taken two years to get financial literacy as part of the curriculum. Like, yeah. The, we're mistaken, like the things that people are measured by and therefore incentivized by in our systems across the board is going to dictate the decisions they're making early on. Well, if we're not measuring yeah. whether or not folks actually have what they need, then like, what are we really doing for real? You know? Yeah. And don't and even when get we have these folks. Ed, we'll be here for another time. <laughs> Hi, I mean, higher ed is a, is a whole disaster. Um, but I think, you know, what, what you're saying is so important because there's a couple of things that I think of. One is that, I mean, I just remember being at a school where we didn't have anywhere to put um, seniors who were on track to graduate because you can essentially flunk an entire year of high school and still graduate on time. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's not unique mm-hmm. to Denver. Like I've worked with people in districts all across the country and, you know, it's like you lower the bar to the point that it's already like, you lower the standard to where it's already met. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's where that statistic of matriculation means a lot less. And then the other thing I think about is, you know, because so many kids, particularly those from our communities, won't have access to higher education, whether because of their legal status, whether because 
They won't receive the financial aid that they need. Um, all that stuff is getting harder to get. So what are we doing for them while their education is still free? You know, like I think about ethnic studies and you and I've talked about this before. Ethnic studies is a passion of my life. And I had a big sort of like you talked about that record scratch moment with your mom, right? I had a record scratch moment when I realized, hold up, colleges are like 5% people of color. That's that's probably not fair. 10% people Mm -hmm. of color, right? And most of those people of color don't take ethnic studies courses when they go to college. If they're in engineering, if they're in the business school, it's not really built in. And so if people, particularly people of color, aren't getting access to ethnic studies, for example, in high school, they're never going to get it because they they probably won't access it in college. Um, So what are we doing? You know, what are we doing? And, um, you know, so no, I, I feel like I feel like we're going to have to do a part two at some point and, uh, you know, kind of get deep into it. So I think you've kind of named some of the things that that you and Ednium and the alumni view as being, you know, pressing needs in in the city of Denver. But I want to give you a little bit of space to kind of intentionally name that, um, because I think anybody who's been listening to this interview knows what you kind of see as the needs, but I want you to center that for a second. What do you view as, as these like pressing needs that you feel convicted to address? Yeah, no, I appreciate the time for that. I mean, right now there's three things. I'm sure it's a short list, right? Putting on the docket. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think we can narrow it to three. (laughs) And I think they all are (laughs) underscored. But the conversation that we just had, which is saying, you know, how do we help people be successful? And what I mean by successful is like we went on this tour asking everybody how they define success. And these five things came up consistently and everybody prioritizes them different. Everybody has different thresholds. But these five things come up all the time. Financial security, physical and mental well-being, quality relationships, professionally, personally a sense of purpose and the ability to be their authentic selves. Every single person, it don't matter Mm -hmm. if they were a high school dropout, a college grad, a state senator, a CEO, um, whoever, those five things come up in one way, shape, form or the other. So my question is, is how do we get to measure those? And then Mm -hmm. how do we start to build our systems, our structures, our curriculum to lead somebody to that path? So that's that's like the foundation upon these three things. One thing we're working on, and this is a shout out to Gary. We just got finished with our RFPs around saying, well, look, regardless if I go to a college or not, I should be coming out of high school knowing how to do something that I could leverage that can help me feed my family. Um, Yeah. We should have a credential of value walking out of here. I went to DU and all this stuff, man. My basement was flooding. I didn't even know what questions to ask. Like, (laughs) like, you know, you know how bold, much more bold I would be right now if I knew I could go and like fall back on on something. And those were that's what we heard from our alumni was saying. Mm -hmm. If I don't go to college, I'll have something that I could use. If I do go to college, I have something that can help me pay for college. And once I graduate, if I have some kind of disruption in my educational process, I I will. It will not end the game for me exactly and it's 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 crazy to me how knowing having a like a certification 
graduating from high school somehow makes us less competitive to go to a traditional four-year institution. Like we keep talking about this in a dichotomy and this is what I would want our next mm. conversation to be about. It's like, I think yeah. it's bullshit. So like, how do we get more students yeah. to graduate with a credential of value that they can use immediately following high school, number one? Number two, right. how do you get the city to reinvest by incentivizing our business community to hire DPS alumni, particularly DPS yeah. alumni of color? Um, yeah. And then number three is, we are telling kids that they have no worth unless they go to college. And we are giving kids hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, tens of thousands, a hundred thousand dollars sometimes of debt to go to colleges. And the college is not being held accountable for whether or not that degree helped that person That's right. thrive. That's right. Every, every other situation, when you were asked to make an investment, you are, you would expect for that person to tell you what the expected return on investment is for, for that money and time you're putting up. Yeah. Everywhere except right. for education. Yep. We should have, it should be it, like, we're saying like, if you're asking a 16, 17 year old trade with the kid to go to college, you're not going to pay for it. You're going to make it as expensive as it is. Um, you should at least be transparent about what that student can expect going into that particular program and yeah. by means of money. Cause people could say, we could say all we want, man. But if you're coming from a lower class neighborhood and a lower class background, college was sold to you as a means of putting you in a better financial situation so you could yep. take care of your yep. people. Upward mobility. First. That is not happening right now. That's right. At the clip that it should be happening. Um, I don't understand anybody that tells me they care about equity, but then don't want to give kids all the information they need to make decisions. Um, yeah. That tells me you either yep. don't believe we're smart enough to make our decisions with the information um, or yeah. you're actively trying to hide something. Either way, I'm mad at you and we need to change it. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's right. what we're trying that's to make right. happen right now. Yep. I yeah. love it. That's dope. That's dope. Um, so we're going to get you out of here in a second. Um, yeah. But uh, and actually what, what you what you are kind of talking about reminds me of uh folks there's an interview that i did on our mixtape that um hopefully by now is dropped um is uh with uh dipali via vias from uh, fearless plus and so a lot of what um what Therese talking about fearless plus does some of this work too where they're trying to help young people present themselves and unearth their own gifts and skills in a way that can help them begin to thrive so y'all should check out that episode if you haven't yet um Ture, music is important to you. You would say that, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, so I always, so I've got, I've got this playlist that I call for myself. Um, and it's, and it's songs mm -hmm. that reflect some kind of headspace or mood that I'm in. So I got like, I got like angry stuff on there. I got peaceful stuff. I got joyous <laughs> stuff. Like it's just, and, and I'll just kind of like, whenever I'm feeling something, like I'll put it on and I'll and I'll kind of skip mm -hmm. until I find a song that kind of like vibes with that. What's what's some music that you're feeling right now, man? Besides your own, dog. <laughs> Besides my own, yeah. Uh, we finally got some stuff on I on like Apple and Spotify, man. T Ray music. Y'all want to check that out? Uh, check it out. We'll link it in the. Uh, but I, in I'll the say, like, oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I'd say like the music I'm feeling with now, man, is like music that I can vibe with my son in in the car. 
uh, it's mm. been really cool. He's supposed to be going to Atlanta on his eighth grade trip, and I went to like the Atlanta okay. hip hop essentials and just like relive Ooh, all my middle yep. school days. So like that was <laughs> yes, that was, that was cool. But <laughs> he's really into uh, you know, he loves he loves like Kendrick and Cole and Lupe Fiasco. Yep. Which means yep. I feel like I'm doing something right as a father. You feel me? Yes. Um, I know this is controversial yes. right now, but like, uh, 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 call or oh man, now I'm tripping. Like Kanye's first albums, late registration, uh, I mean, college dropout. Like that plays such a vital part of my childhood, which is like crazy yeah. right now. Um, yeah, there's certain things are happening, but yeah, man. If if I can. If it brings, and then obviously frozen and let it go, because that's that's the music we vibe to with my, with my six year old. So if yeah. it brings me closer yeah, to my kids, that's when I'm listening to. Yes, <laughs> no, nah, I love it, man. I love it. Yeah, I remember those days with uh, with my daughter and uh, classical baby. Um, that's how, I, and actually, it was kind of dope because that's mm-hmm. how I learned about uh, Saint Saens. That's how I learned about Rachmaninoff, like these classical composers, kind of wild, and now you know, now she's into her like punk season or punk metal kind of season, but she's still, she's like, dad, I I do love hip hop. I just need you to send me some music. And I'm like, oh man, say less. Um, And so, but there's some, (laughs) there there was, so there was like one day um, in her math class when she was in sixth grade, shout out Ms. Iverson, um, where they were taking a brain break. And so Ms. Iverson puts on um, just some, just some beats by the roots, right? And, um, and apparently my daughter kicked back in her chair, put her foot up and said, yeah, that's my boy Questlove. <laughs> like as an 11, 12 year old, hey. and I'm like, man, ra- raising these children, right? <laughs> no, that's great. Um, yeah, for real, well, man. Trey Esquibel, part of the uh, Esquibel dynasty that I've been so blessed to be connected with all these years. Thank you so much for coming on the Chicano Logs and sharing your Chicano Log with us. Um, how do people follow Thanks. you, come across your ideas, um, engage with you, get into a conversation with you? How, how do they find you? Yeah, I mean, and, uh, a lot of the stuff from an Ednium standpoint um, is just Ednium alumni. That's E-D-N-I-U-M alumni. Um, you know, we got a podcast, too, and I got to give you some love, man. Like you, yes. you doing the podcast and you being able to share your voice in that way is the reason why we started ours. Um and so means a lot. just know that you're you're a huge influence in Thank that. You. Thank and you. um yeah, any of alumni across the board come and come and find us and you know we're gonna keep trying to do some real things. We got some real big questions on the horizon. Uh, but uh yeah, if you if, again if you stay down and you're clear on your on your why, you know, you allow the you allow the vehicle to be the vehicle. So I love that. I just man. appreciate the you vehicle the space. Is the vehicle. No, and thank you, and and your podcast has certainly surpassed mine in quality. So good stuff. You know what you're doing. Um, it's really good stuff. <laughs> I don't say all that. You know, let's get <laughs> let's uh, let let's get a collab in, uh, folks. Thank you for checking out this uh, this episode. Obviously, hit us up. Like, definitely find uh, Tere and this incredible alumni. Uh, network that has grown up around him at Ednium Alumni. Also look at T-Ray Music. That's some good stuff right there um, to sort of see where his creative energy uh, really manifests as well. And um, keep following us here on the Chicano Logs and uh, we'll catch you up next time around. Peace, y'all.
Hey, yo, attention, dedicated educators. As the school year approaches and begins, now is the perfect time to take control of your financial future. We understand that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort during the school year, so now is the best time to prioritize your finances before the busy school year really gets going. And honestly, you got to make time for this stuff, people. We know this. Um, that's why I want to introduce you to a trusted financial advisor who specializes in working with educators like you. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors. Alex provides educators with planning for their most important financial milestones. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers and their retirement. This is, of course, the school pension system and retirement programs specifically for teachers like us. Imagine heading into the upcoming school year and future years with confidence, knowing that your finances are in order. By taking time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Visit Alex's website at www.toriandalex.com. Dot Cetera Investors, that's C E T E R A Investors.com slash two dope. And of course, you got to spell out two dope, T O O D O P E, to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part mention the discount code two dope during your first consultation and receive 25% off in their subscription based financial planning packages. This is really cutting edge, y'all. This is a new way of ensuring that people, even who don't have a ton of wealth to start with, can still start building that wealth. Take this opportunity to invest in your financial well-being before the school year kicks into high gear. Click the link in the description section of this podcast for more information about Cetera Investors. Remember, your financial success is just as important as your student's success. Let's start this school year on the right financial foot. Cetera Investors is a marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC, California Insurance License, number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra, CFP, is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203, Monrovia, California, 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306.